You're listening to Tech Square ATL. We tell the stories of Tech Square, the heart of Atlanta's tech scene. Breakthrough talent, breakthrough ideas, and breakthrough companies. All right, welcome to the Hump Day Exchange. I am your host, Scott, Scott Henderson, a.k.a. Scotty Hendo on the interwebs. We're recording in front of a live audience here in Tech Square, the heart of Atlanta's tech scene, and excited to bring you this episode. Uh, Hump Day Exchange is a collaborative effort of Sandbox ATL, ATDC, and Georgia Tech Scheller College of Business. So, Mom, you were wrong. It turns out you can make money playing video games. Um, esports, as the world of the competitive video gaming is called, uh, has become serious business. This, this episode is entitled The Emergence of Esports, and we'll explore how we've gone from a friendly game of Pong in our living room to millions of people watching the best of the best battle it out on dizzying numbers of games that you can watch in competitive arenas. And we have another insightful group of guests um, to help us sort this out. Adam Toll of Haste, Connie Cambray, is that how you say it, Cambray? Cambry, sorry, Connie Cambry, should have asked you before I started recording, of Control Freak, and Albert Lee of the Georgia Tech Esports Club. And thankfully they're here because I'm ranked 188th, 204th, 1,000th bronze player on H1Z1 King of the Kill, and I'm gonna need their help, so. All right, if we got him laughing, we, we got that joke. That was good, all right. If you're listening to our show for the first time, here's how the program will go. After a short introduction to the topic, I'm gonna to invite each guest into the hot seat for a one-on-one -on -one conversation focused on their perspective. And once all three are through, we'll gather them for a round table conversation where they get to ask each other some questions. And then we'll finish with a town hall style Q&A with our live audience guests. So let's begin with setting the frame. I know I heard at least one of you snicker that what professional video gamers, seriously? Uh, these, pro these losers are probably still living in their parents' basement. But actually, uh, their parents might be living in the guest wing of their the, the child's beachfront mansion by now. Um, modern esports is a juggernaut. I mean, light years beyond the Red Bull-fueled land parties of the early aughts. I mean, games have become complex. Price pools reach eight figures, and a growing number of colleges and universities now offer esports scholarships. We'll break it down for you no matter where your skill level is. And so, I know, like, like me, if you have a young child, a teenager, you know esports is big now. Um, professional video gamers have become Michael Jordans and, Leon, and Lionel Messi's to their fans, and complete with NASCAR-style team jerseys, regular live stream cast of their gameplay, and uh, very robust social media presences that these, these players have. You, you can see it for yourself if you watch Turner and uh, the, season, the start of season two of the E-League, which is basically just shot a couple blocks north of where we record this on the Turner lot. So last week I, I attended DreamHack Atlanta, which is billed as the largest digital festival in the world, and as our friends at the Metro Atlanta Chamber and Choose the ATL called it, the Coachella of esports. Uh, for three days, thousands, I thought that was apt actually, uh, for three days, thousands of people gathered to watch teams from across the world compete against each other uh, to take home the trophies and large cash prizes. I mean, you could walk from, I counted at least six stages with TV studio, TV studio quality lighting, sounds, game commentary, in-game commentary, the, the, you know, just like you would see in any, any major sport events. And it was fun watching and hearing the roar of the crowd as five versus five, three versus three, and one versus one battles waged from everything from old school Pokemon to Overwatch to Halo. It was, uh, it was very impressive. I mean, obviously, I'm impressed. And, and before you write me off as a fanboy, um, I want to share what Morgan Stanley uh, has shared recently with some of the research they have on the market, which I scribbled down last week listening to Atlanta's own Todd Harris of Hi-Rez Studios 
the maker of spite and, I mean, spite, smite, maker of smite and paladins. Uh, 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 and he was speaking at Switchyard's uh, Made in Atlanta speaking series. And so here are a couple of things I, I wrote down and then also went online and researched this, which you can do yourself. It's amazing to me. We have 7 billion people in the world. 2.1 billion of them play in a casual fashion video games. 2.1 out of 7 billion people playing video games. Um, more people tuned in to watch the live broadcast of the League of Legends final than Game 7 of the NBA finals. Uh, the prize pool for League of Legends tournament was larger than the Masters Golf Tournament prize pool. Twitch, the biggest website for live stream broadcasts, has 9.7 million daily viewers versus the 7.2 million who tune in to ESPN on a daily basis. And that's some amazing stats right there. Huge levels of engagement. And if you want to go to the birthplace of esports in South Korea, you can watch three different 24-7 esports channels. In fact, uh, when the South Korean soccer team left for the most recent World Cup, um, they had the choice uh, to invite some inspirational heroes to come give them a pep talk, and they chose members of, the, of, the Koreans, of Korea's top StarCraft competitive team to come give them their pep talk. Um, so, look, pro sports teams are catching on here in the United States as well. 11 of the 17 NBA team owners have already invested in esports. NFL owners like New England Patriots Bob Kraft uh, has done so, and large sport in, sports entertainment venues uh, and ventures are joining the fray. It's coming to the collegiate level, too, with, I think there's the University of California, Irvine, helping to pioneer a varsity team, and Georgia Tech's athletic department is busily working to create its own team, um, which is quite amazing. But if you step back and think about it, why, why is it surprising? I mean, we already do that for people who bounce balls on a court and throw it into a metal hoop. Um, and, or uh, throw a football and, and catch it. So why wouldn't you take people who are already competing in and using teamwork on five versus five and three versus three courts and one versus one? This is just like any other athletic venture. Um, so anyway, let's follow the money, and uh, I think you'll see that esports is for real. So um, all right, let's get started. Let's uh, go to the hot seat and bring Adam Toll from Haste. Please welcome. Get your headset on so while you're doing that. So prior to joining Haste, uh, Adam was the co-founder and COO of Big Champagne, uh, the online analytics company, which uh, Live Nation Entertainment acquired and he went to work for for a couple of years. Not only is he the CEO, he was the first investor. Uh, with roots in the Charm City, a.k.a. Baltimore, uh, he collected degrees from Johns Hopkins and then went up to NYU and then built his chops in the satellite communications internet space before jumping into the online analytics space. Now he's working on slaying the dragon of streaming lag, despised by all, line, uh, all online gamers. So, Adam, thanks for stopping in and saying hi. Thank you so much for having us here. Yeah. Well, uh, let's get right to what uh, you're doing now. So what is your elevator pitch for haste? Well, before I give you that, I just wanted to say I'm going to comment about one thing you said sure. uh, early on. Um, you said something about, um, uh, about playing Pong back in the day yeah. and how sort of things were maybe a little more peaceful back then. Um, not in my house. Um, <laughs> violence, physical violence was an important part of playing Pong. Um, <laughs> I was mostly the recipient of it from my older brother, but he won many games that way. Yeah. A, a well-timed punch in the arm. Well, can, what were the ages that you guys were at the time? Well, uh, this would have been in the 70s. Yeah. Um, and um, and it, when we got past- it's an older brother? Older brother, yeah, that's I'd, right. I had the yep. same. 
And I remember we had an, an Intellivision, which I don't know if the yes. internet remembers yes, Intellivision. Intellivision, that yeah. was right, right after the Atari 2400, ColecoVision era. How <laughs> about ColecoVision? That was good stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so the elevator pitch. So, so Haste is software that uh, optimizes the internet uh, for people who are engaged in live interactive experiences. And right now, we are launching our eSports Accelerator service that fixes lag for the 150 million plus really core esports enthusiasts um, for whom lag is is an endemic problem. What, what do you mean by lag? I mean, you yep. and I know lag, but if you're not not accustomed to this world, what is that problem? So uh, technically lag is sort of a, a combination of three um, network problems that involve congestion and and losing data along the way. The way most gamers think of and experience lag is, is as ping. Mm -hmm. And ping is really latency, right? So the sort of time that it takes your game data to get to the game server and back. And that kind of delay, which uh, can be caused by some related elements that we address as well, um, really impacts the player's experience on a competitive level uh, because it can make you essentially slower to react in game. Um, and it also contributes to just a general uh, frustration mm -hmm. during the gameplay experience. You, you need things to be running smoothly so that you can play your best and just enjoy the experience. And uh, think of, if you're not somebody who plays online video games, um, think about the frustration that comes from uh, trying to watch a video and mm. it constantly is or kind FaceTime of you know, rebuffed. Or, or Skype or exactly. something like, right? like video chats. A garbled video chat. Mm. Um, and, and that's an inconvenience and an annoyance um, as it is for gamers. But what's, what's worse for gamers is that it can actually negatively impact your performance, right? Mm -hmm. it, it can actually contribute to you being killed. It's mm. literally a life and death question. Yeah, your, your, your game would be over. Uh, if you if you weren't watching that coming, so um, I got went straight to the weeds with you, but I want to pull back a little bit um, so to see the bigger picture. So you you worked for a time at Live Nation uh, before coming into to Haste. Uh, I'm curious, uh, having been in the satellite and internet communications world, being at Live Nation, um, how what was your view of of esports from a business opportunity perspective? Yep. Well, uh, first of all, I have to credit my, my co-founder, Tarek Mirza, um, who was really the kind of original founder of, uh, of Haste. He's the, the guy that got the joke uh, that I said earlier. <laughs> that, that was my, my, my gold standard. If he got it, it was good. That's, that's why... Jared does my research. That's why and... I started a business with him. He, <laughs> um, it, it was really Tarek, first of all, who, um, who uh, invented Haste, who came up with, these, you know, with the idea. Um, and he and I had worked together in that previous startup that, that you'd mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, and that startup was really focused on, um, on measuring how people interacted with, with media, online and offline. Um, and so we, we were really very much at the intersection of technology and media. Um, and, uh, and that's why Live Nation picked us up and we were helping them sort of build their um, insight and awareness of, of the customers. I, through that period, was um, not, not particularly aware of esports as a phenomenon. I, I, I knew it in passing, but it was really when Tarek called me up, and this is after uh, I had left Live Nation, 
And Tark called me up, it had been a long time since we'd spoken, and he started telling me a story about uh, eSports and about lag and about his own experiences and how he had set about to solve his own problem with lag for himself initially, just as a personal you know, nights and weekends project mm. that turned into 18 months of, of development and three patents and an idea for a business. And so it was really Tarek who, who opened my eyes to the opportunity. What attracted to, you know, me to it was that intersection of technology and media where I had been before with this new layer of, of content mm. um, and, and entertainment and video games. Um, and, and that, you know, the last thing I'd say about that is that it really dovetailed with my lifelong interest in infrastructure and in telecommunications networks and how people communicate over distance. And you saw that in my early interest in satellite communications. Mm -hmm. And so it really all sort of came together um, thanks to TARP. So you guys um, are focusing on esports and uh, helping solve the problem for the, those teams. I mean, what, for those unfamiliar with it, um, what what does the average consumer look like within esports? Mm -hmm. And, and, and what, what drives them? So for people who are not familiar with esports and the world of online video games, um, the, the average participant um, is somebody who looks very different than the picture that we all know that you have in your mind's eye. Mm -hmm. um, and so we are not talking about an army of lonely kids hiding in mom's basement addicted to video games. Um, by and large, uh, when, you, when you look at the entire population, you're looking at an average age of a participant in their 30s. Um, you're talking about people who are um, more employed than the average user of the internet. Um, so they're employed at higher rates. They enjoy higher incomes than the average uh, online user. Um, and uh, they spend a lot of money Mm -hmm. on their uh, on their interest and then that spend comes in different ways some of it may be you know enhanced internet services some of it may be buying a game or paying for in-game items or um, you know of course the whole world of uh, of hardware including the hardware that control freak makes mm -hmm. and, and you know gaming computers and so forth so it's actually an enormous ecosystem um, but if you're not aware of it, it's easy to sort of think of gamers the way maybe I grew up with gamers, mm -hmm. where it's a solitary experience. Mm -hmm. Maybe the key for people who aren't familiar with online gaming today is to, is to think of uh, the typical participants' involvement with, you know, with, uh, with team-based right, or multiplayer online video games something more akin to um, someone's involvement with social media mm -hmm. um, where it's a it's a very social uh, activity it's an activity where you are cultivating an online identity much in the same way that we all cultivate our online identities through Facebook or, or Twitter um, people cultivate an online identity as a gamer literally with an avatar and a name and so forth um, and so it's really really very different from the um, from maybe what would you frequently encounter as an outsider's uh, um, attitude about about who a gamer is. Hmm. So, um, where, where's the puck headed right now with esports? I mean, how are the emerging technologies like uh, virtual reality and augmented reality going to shape the sector? Well, I mean, VR and AR in in, in particular, um, I think, uh, have a a major role to play 
in esports. You see, um, you see the role of AR and VR already um, emerging in, in traditional sports. Um, in, um, a, a, but when you talk about a um, purely digital activity, the opportunities for both the players and the spectators to have even more immersive experiences. Um, I was talking to some of the guys about this. They pointed out even coaching mm. um, and you know, sort of competitive analysis. The ability to really immerse yourself in the game from every aspect um, will, will continue to be, uh, you know, I think, a big driver. And when you, look at, when you look at the emergence of new technologies, right, you frequently see uh, sports and, and pornography leading the way. And um, setting aside pornography, I think, you know, you're already seeing that same pattern mm -hmm. emerging with VR and AR in, mm -hmm. in traditional sports as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember uh, the spring uh, putting on the headset and watching uh, the Masters uh, from the, uh, the 17th Fair, uh, tea, tea box, you, they had a, a 360 camera up and you could feel like you were there. Excellent. Well, uh, we've got more to talk with you later on in the show, but um, uh, people listening along want to learn more about you and want to find out more about you. Where can they find you on the interwebs? And I guess for this episode, probably be good to say if, uh, if uh, your, your typical screen name uh, on any of the games, uh, what your handle would be. Well, they can find me as, um, as Adam Haste. Um, on any number of games, um, and when they find me, they will, like everybody else, immediately kill me, um, <laughs> yeah. because that's the way it works. Um, but uh, you know, the best way to learn more about us is to come to haste.net, and from there, you can, um, you know, you can join our um, our Discord community, which is a really active um, uh, community of people talking not just about haste, but about esports in general and particular sports and um, you can you know find us on on twitter and facebook and all of the usual places awesome well thank you very much adam uh, for joining us and thank you as you take your headset off we'll invite connie cambray from control freak in uh, she's got her headset on so she's responsible for all their social media content working with their affiliate network of professional gamers and attending all the tournaments and relevant industry events uh, Connie's here to give us the on-the-ground perspective of the esports scene. So she joined Control Freak in 2014. She's been working her way up the ladder there and been part of its growth selling the video game controller stick extenders, which my son has used on diff many different games um, and a growing line of products. So Connie, thanks for stopping in and saying hi. Yeah, thank you. So um, for those who aren't familiar, uh, how would you describe what the real-world experience of an esports tournament is like? As cliche as it's probably going to sound, it really is electrifying. Um, specifically, well, every tournament's a little bit different, but if we focus specifically on MLG, our major league gaming, when you walk in, you don't walk in like at DreamHack if you were there and it's just this open expo of everything that's going on. They have a long hallway with strobe lights, almost like a red carpet experience before you even get to turn into this grander picture. It's um, there's a lot of movement, there's a lot of lights, there's a lot of celebration. It's, it's, it's so hard to describe unless you're actually there, especially with the way that people view esports currently and how we're trying to change that. It's definitely, you have to be there to believe, but I guess for comparison's sake, um, if you think about a, 
a night game, <laughs> I'll emphasize, but a night game here at Bobby Died. Um, just yeah. that same sort of the power, the energy is there. The tailgating. Yeah, everyone kind of knows everyone. Maybe it's someone you only see at your football games or at your tailgate, but everybody's there and they're sort of there for that common ground. Kind of like um, go, going on to a ride at, at Disney World with the, the pre-ride experience happening. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and marry that with Las Vegas going into a casino floor, right? All the all the noises that you're seeing and the lights that you're all the in. noise, lights, and the anticipation. Vegas is a great example because you know you're rooting for your team to win the money or to win the tournament or make their presence known. But those gamers are also competing under the same amount of pressure that someone sitting around a table would be as well. Hmm. So um, it, it seems like um, the real action uh, within esports, uh, especially gamers, is, is on the social media channels. I mean. Uh, having watched which channel, which uh, YouTubers and which streamers my son's uh, watching, and, uh, and which Instagram accounts he's got, um, what what are the, some of these mind-blowing statistics and insights that you can share about the followings that these professionals have have really amassed? Um, so I was trying to think of a creative way to really put this into perspective for people and audience feel free to join in and fact check me here um, because I know that it's true but if you look up the Atlanta Falcons on Twitter and then you look up Optic Gaming on Twitter Optic Gaming has a million more followers than the Atlanta Falcons do. And that's uh, 1.8 versus 2.8 right there. Um, if you scale it back a little, you know, I mentioned my jackets. Again, um, they have 28,000 followers on Twitter. The videographer, his name is Roger, for Team Caliber, a team that we sponsor that in itself has about 750,000 on Twitter. The videographer has 21,000, just 7,000 short of this college football team. That is how immersive this culture is and how much and how badly these fans and these young gamers want to be included in the entire experience of it all. Well, I, I'll go a little bit deeper on this. Um, I'm curious, uh, what, what's, how, how are these platforms being used? I mean, give us a sense for are we seeing giveaway contests? Are we seeing uh, behind the scenes stuff that the, 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 the gamers are sharing with their fans? What, what kind of stuff would you expect from the, the teams, but also the individual uh, gamers? Um, so the team pages themselves are pretty straightforward. It's a lot of this is where we're going to be. This is who we're going to be competing against, just like any other traditional sports team, kind of our year-long schedule and programming. When you break it down into the individual players, then you... It, they're running them like their own personal Twitter accounts and things like that. You know, you're just going to get a sense of knowing them on a personal level. But probably the biggest spot and the biggest area where it's thriving is on YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, the esports scene and the competitive scene is very big, but larger still is just the content creation. And a lot of these esports players also have content channels, mm -hmm. so they're getting to interact with their fans on you know, the stage, but also with that behind the scenes um, interaction. Instagram stories is probably the newer and bigger um, space that we're seeing that activity in, but all of that visual, the day-to-day, -day, they like knowing what's going in. They have sponsorships um, with 
companies like us, with companies um, like G Fuel, for example, and different people that sponsor their whole house. These teams, they live together. It's like mm -hmm. a fraternity house. So there's a lot of content coming out of what goes on in their day-to-day -day lives and their day-to-day -day training and their bonding together. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. You peel back um, the onion and you, you see that uh, and I, I guess this comes from the Korean roots that it had, where that that was very common. Have a house, having people live in. And if I understand that there's a growing uh, trend uh, that's the teams are starting not to live all under the same roof, but moving into different places. But the whole high idea of a reality TV show happening with social media embedded in it is what I'm what I'm imagining as you imagine as you paint that out. Yeah, no, it's exactly like that. Um, Team Caliber that I referenced, um, they live here, actually. They live in Alpharetta area, and um, it's just like a reality TV show all the time. They're always getting into some sort of shenanigans together as much as they take their, you know, um, passion and gaming seriously. They have a lot of fun, and they know that their core audience are, you know, 13 to 18 year olds ish you know they they're living the same lives these guys are not athletes that are in their you know 30s and 40s these are 20 year olds just alongside them that still mm. are enjoying life at the same pace even though yeah. they're putting all this work into their fields it takes me back to 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 when i was that age that it, it was just the kids in the neighborhood that were really good you always wanted to go wherever they were playing and watch them play that game because they could always get to higher levels than that you ever could and and it makes complete sense because now I can access those, the best players by watching them anywhere they're at. So what are these people like? I mean, we, what, is the, what is a gamer like? Uh, what kind of personalities are you seeing? You, know, having, you, you, you are in the social media streams of most of these people, so you get a better sense of who they are. But they also get to see them in person. So, I mean, again, back to Adam's point, most people have a preconceived notion. What are these people like? Are they everyday people that you, if you just ran across them on the street that yeah it's a um it's everybody every day i i mean i'm a gamer you're a gamer like there's no real true face anymore especially um and we see that statistically as well um especially when we break it down more into things like gender for example um it used to be a long time um assumption that this was just a, a guy's world, just the guys who are gaming, just the guys who are on stage, but that's not true. We've closed the gap all the way. It's 50-50 now. Mm. Um, these kids have jobs, or they're in school, or they're in other extracurricular activities. You know, they're fans of Doctor Who so much as they're also like big at athletic people that are on their sports teams, a quarterback of the football team. I mean, there's no true that South Park, World of Warcraft sort of vision that we have <laughs> there, that just, just this sloppy, awful person. <laughs> that's not real yeah. life. <laughs> that's yeah. not real life. Um, and, and they sort of shock me every single day with breaking a new... Um, they, a new vision that I might have held previously to being immersed in it. Even challenging all the time. your stereotypes of these people. Are. Yeah, all the time. You know, I was born in the '80s and have a certain, you know, hold on to that same sort of mindset. And they were constantly feeding me new information and new perspective on what's out there and what what is to come. Hmm. So it seems like, like with like any good uh, gold rush. Uh, the money's to be made in selling the tools. So I'm curious, uh, what is, what's the elevator pitch for Control Freak and, and who are your customers? 
Sure, so our customers, uh, just like I just said about the demographics there, our core audience truly is kind of that 13 to 21 year old range, um, but the great thing about our product is that it's for anybody. It comes in a wide variety of widths, heights, and textures. Um, the ultimate purpose being you get better comfort, better control, and better precision. If you've not heard of Control Freak before or are not familiar, we work in the console space. Our primary product is this thumbstick attachment. It just snaps right onto your stock controller. And I love it because the ergonomics, the science behind it, of course, the higher up you go from your stock stick, uh, the further out of the dead zone you've you've allowed yourself to go. You're giving your controller natural sensitivity. The game can only max out so high. So with this stack sensitivity on top of it, you're now able to be really precise, make those finite motions and movements that, that count and matter in the play, prevent you from getting killed, or maybe um, advance you to the next round just with that one final headshot where it really counted. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm excited about the new glossary of terms that we have. Thank you to uh, <laughs> online games, headshots, and kill streaks, kill streaks, score streaks, score streaks <laughs> all those fun stuff. Um, maybe we should do a glossary for this one. Anyway, um, so uh, where, where do you think uh, where do you think esports is headed next? I mean, you're on the ground. You're you're surrounded by these folks. Where, where are you seeing it going? It's only going to get bigger. That's for sure. Um, but the the cool thing about esports is it's kind of like the Wild West. You never really know who the big player is going to be, whether that's a publisher, a game, or an esports team. Um, the greatest part about it um, is that these tournaments are set up while, while there are established organizations. There's also an opportunity for free play entry. Mm -hmm. So people who might not have the same money backing or sponsorship backing or any of that other stuff um, still have an opportunity to make their spot and get their, earn their spot on stage alongside the pros. So um, I, don't, I don't think it'll be a straight A to Z pathway that we're going to see in the future, but I think more and more people are starting to take it seriously, especially those in the traditional sports mindset starting to cross over and convert, get like what you said, the athleticism that's in there. There's reaction time, there's training, there's all sorts of stuff. It's harder to see because you're sitting down, you're not lifting, you're not actively working um, the same muscles we're used to expect from a traditional athlete, but you're working your mind, that muscle, you get you know, your whole wrist, hand, thumb, the dexterity, the quick reaction times and all those other things. So it's a little bit harder to um, sort of lay down in concrete and see all at once. It's like scattering all your pictures on the mm -hmm. floor, mm -hmm. um, but somehow all of those pictures work. It's <laughs> just organized chaos a little bit. And I think as more industries start to jump in and start to bite off and can guide us, the way that we have seen uh, the industry been guided to now, it'll just get stronger. You know, MLG itself um, started with just a few guys who just wanted to take this to the next level. Um, as another uh, person who runs events um, told me just recently at DreamHack, another company, she was like, it was a bromance that just caught such big fire that other bros joined and other bros joined and they weren't really sure what to do, but now all of a sudden Activision is helping run their Call of Duty tournaments. So the more guidance we have from this corporate level, I don't think it'll be fully corporate, like, uh, you know, 
I don't think you'll lose the integrity of gaming, but I think that influence that you know Adam alluded to from the business end, having people who have the business smarts merge in with the gamers who just have this passion, I think we'll we'll see this grow to be a big a bigger industry later on. Yeah, that, I think that's a really great great way to phrase it in terms of the bringing the business acumen with the. Uh with a passion, you have to have the passion for the, the sport itself. Yes, and if you do not have the passion, gamers will call you out immediately. They can see straight through everything, and that's one of the greater lessons I've learned through them, is authenticity is the only thing that matters mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Hmm. Awesome. Well, um, I, we got more to talk with you in the next segment, but uh, where can uh, folks find you on the interwebs? and? What's your favorite gaming handle that you use? Sure. So my handle is KissKissATL. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at ConConRu, C-O-N-C-O-N-R-U. And, of course, Control Freak is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as at Control Freak, K-O-N-T-R-O-L-F-R-E-E-K. And on Snapchat as K-F underscore snaps. Awesome. Well, Connie, you made it through the hot seat, so thank you very much. <laughs> All right, as you vacate, we'll, uh, we'll welcome our third guest, Albert Lee, the president of the Georgia Tech Esports Club. Um, as he get his, his headset on, I'll give him a little introduction. So he's currently attending Georgia Tech as a computational media major. Um, he's president of the GT Esports Club, and the, the club is uh, among the, one of the largest organizations on campus and started about six years ago as a support group's uh, for the top, some of the top players in the North American StarCraft blood, I mean, brood war scene. Um, and with the help of the College of Computing, uh, Resident Hall Association, student government, the club supports uh, Georgia Tech's collegiate teams competing in national tournaments and, and helps to promote social events around uh, campus and elsewhere. Um, and they've dominated some collegiate tournaments in recent years and are currently advising the athletic department in its efforts. So, uh, Albert, um, I'm curious, uh, being an active Georgia Tech student, which is a hell of a grind, um, <laughs> and running uh, this, this club, um, you obviously have uh, to justify time spent away from your studies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what, what, has, uh, what has playing video games taught you about uh, teamwork and communication and discipline? Well, uh, taught me a lot of things. A lot of things about people that you thought could be patient, not being patient at all. A lot of people being angry spontaneously, and a lot of people being extremely friendly when you least expect it. It's pretty great. Uh, it's kind of like playing football with other people. I mean, if you hang out with strangers and you got together and played a game with them for an hour, it's like socializing. You'll know them a lot more. Hmm. So um, you, you've helped uh, uh, manage some of these esports tournaments for uh, like mm -hmm. at MomoCon and uh, you've attended your, your fair share. What, what's, it, what's it take to produce one of these events? I mean, what, what's behind the scenes? Uh, what, what's the amount of work that goes into this? Well, um, it takes a tremendous amount of work, actually. Besides all of the logistics, you have to reach out. There's a bit of several different jobs worth, but oftentimes for tournaments such as MomoCon, one person might end up handling marketing for event. Another person would have to handle running the event, but then they would have to collaborate. It's basically running a company at that point. Hmm. So I'd say it takes the strength of 100 people and maybe 10 people. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it is amazing to think of the amount of effort and time it takes to plan through these, these tournaments, um, but also the equipment that goes into this, I would imagine. I mean, what's, what's it look like from a, a technical spe specification perspective? What do you need to pull off a, 
a major uh, esports tournament? Like everything else in life, okay, not everything, but lots and lots of money. <laughs> so, <laughs> money and money gets you what? Money gets you the equipment, which is computers, wiring. It gets you people to help. Sometimes, sometimes you get volunteers, and the volunteers put their blood and sweat into it. And then you would need, you basically need to rent out an entire facility or even build one. For example, in South Korea, they built stadiums just for esports, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. But then when you see the pictures and you see almost 200,000 people standing outside watching 10 people play on computers on a stage, then you, you start to see the scope of things. Mm -hmm. hmm. So um, how, many, how many teams do, does the club support now? And, and what, are, what are some of the big, biggest tournament wins you guys have had? Yeah, so Georgia Tech Esports supports roughly 11 teams on average. Reason why I have to say roughly is because it fluctuates uh, on a semesterly basis mm -hmm. because certain games come and go. Compared to traditional sports, some games have lifespans where games become outdated or not as popular. So then newer games phase in and out. Hmm. Sometimes you have consistent games such as Counter-Strike or League of Legends as examples that have stayed for much longer than a normal lifespan and you can rely on teams too. What, what are some of those, uh, the, the games that have, have, have gone uh, that used to be like the hot, hot games people were playing? I mean, like two, three years mm -hmm. ago, what were the top games? Yeah, so two, three years ago, we had a lot more interest in, I'd say, Smite. Now, Smite is still growing and it's still getting big, but on release, it was very hyped up as a mm -hmm. free-to-play game. And so we had a lot more people I know. Yeah, I was from, watching the Georgia Tech clubs game on Saturday. Yeah, Smite Club. Um, I know the people there. They're great people. They usually still send out teams to tournaments, such as at DreamHack. We had a group of Georgia Tech students who represented and played. Mm -hmm. But um, we also had, like you mentioned before, StarCraft Brutor was on one of our earlier games and uh, released. Before 2000s, I guess over a decade might be a bit lengthy for a game to hmm. last. But actually, we might have to field a team for StarCraft Brood War soon since the remastered version of it is coming out, and that's going to be more popular than StarCraft too. Yeah, that's the that's fascinating thing about this is compared to uh, traditional sports is you know, you, this is very dependent upon the game publishers themselves. I mean, you have to have yeah. the license to play it. You have to have, it's like I invented the game called Football. <laughs> and you cannot buy an oblong object and use the rules of my game or even a field unless you pay me a license for it. And that's mm -hmm. it's fascinating. And thinking to what Connie was saying is like some of these things just pop out of nowhere and you can't really pre right. predict what the next big thing's gonna be because that, I think that's one of the exciting things is you get a company that publishes the game and it just blows up out of nowhere and then all of a sudden there's huge tournaments being played on it versus uh, other big companies putting a lot of time and effort into a game that just didn't get received by the the audience as much. I mean, so if you you said some about eleven, so what what are the current yeah. uh, games you have teams for? So some example games that we field teams for include, like you mentioned, Overwatch, mm -hmm. League of Legends, StarCraft Two, and we're considering fielding a team for Rocket League, which has been yeah. a recent phenomenon. Yeah, and I was enjoying also, watching that. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, it's great. We're also considering a team for actually player unknowns battlegrounds, since that's even more of a recent trend right now. Mm. And we're currently looking at maintaining a Heroes of the Storm team for Tespa and regional events as well. Hmm. So, um, 
what's the one thing you wish uh, your parents understood about esports e that they, they might overlook? Well, uh, actually, I had to tell my parents all about it because uh, they wanted to know why I spend so much time in esports. And I told them it's fun and I, I can actually see myself getting a career in the future related to esports. And after some explanation, they, um, they got really into it. Hmm. Okay, not really into it, but from their perspective, my parents were like, whatever gets you a job, we don't care as long as it's one, legal, and two, you're not homeless. So it, it works out, yeah. I'd say it's pretty reasonable. Wow, that first one's a kind of a deal killer on some yeah, of these things. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, uh, we're flying through this episode. I, I'm, I'm curious, um, I'm going add to add a question for you. Mm -hmm. um, where, where do you think the the um, where do you think esports is going? I mean, you're you're a student. You're seeing these things going. Where where is it headed for you in your mind? Hmm. Well, esports is a interesting battlefield. I like to say right now, esports is one of those tech buzzwords where a lot of startups, as we mentioned, Haste is a recent company to rise up, and I use their products. Actually, it's pretty good. And that's a shout out. <laughs> I'd like to say that esports is, compared to traditional sports, traditional sports has had a long time to mm -hmm. grow. They had a more gradual pace. Esports is like lighting a match next to a bunch of barrels full of maybe dangerous substances. It's, it's constantly, it <laughs> it's constantly sparking up and down. And like you mentioned, Companies are developing these games, and games come and go at such a rapid pace. Esports is a field that it's when if you're not in it, it's hard to keep up since it's expanding, and newer games come out all the time. However, I think that with some stability, hopefully in the future, it's going to continue to ex exponentially grow and manage itself. Right now, uh, as you mentioned earlier in the beginning. A lot of colleges are looking at expanding into it and supporting their esport programs as full-fledged athletic partnerships. And I think that's currently the next step in legitimizing putting so much time into esports for mm -hmm. the younger generations. And it will help remove some of that stigma from like South Park. Even though I actually think that stereotype is pretty hilarious. And pretty on yeah, in, yeah, for some a subsegment. Yeah, right? a su super subsegment. It's like the same subsegment of like any event actually there's always that crazy one percent and then the other 99 percent are like that's not me i get what you're coming from but don't look at me like that so it's the more south cool. park references we can fit into the show the better I yeah think that's a good this episode's coming together very well right now um so uh where where can folks find you on the interwebs and what's your your gamer handle well um my twitter handle is the strong baka if you understand that don't worry about it and I won't put my in-game alias here because I will get spammed because the last time I did any kind of podcast recording, I got so many messages, it's crazy. <laughs> and this is going to be a sellout for Georgia Tech Esports instead. You can uh, go on to both Facebook and Twitter and look up Georgia Tech Esports. You'll find our page and we got a community group as well, as well as a Discord server. Awesome. Well, you made it through the hot seat, so a round of applause for you. And we'll bring Adam and Connie in back to the... You can fight for which chair you want, rock, paper, scissor it. Um, as you guys get settled, um, I, I'm going to start with a, a nice, easy question. Is um, uh, what, what is your favorite video game to watch people play currently? 
Um, Floor is open. Whoever you want. PUBG. PUBG. What's what is PUBG? So it's a uh, it's a battle royale game where you have a hundred players who all fight to the death until only one remains. But um, what's what what I find appealing about it is that it is. Um, <clears throat> It's a, almost a cinematic experience from everything from the production values of the, of the visual experience um, to the way the game unfolds naturally. It has, uh, it has a natural story arc to it. Um, it has slow moments of building tension and explosive moments of deadly violence. Um, it's very funny, uh, I find. Um, and. Uh, you know, it it uh, you know typical game is about 20 minutes, so it's easy to sort of dip in and dip out. Hmm. Connie, what's yours? Well, DreamHack this weekend, definitely. I'm going to be getting much more involved in Rocket League. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm <laughs> um, with you too. That was so much fun to watch. It was watch, so isn't it? exciting because I was telling somebody at the meet and greet before here. You know, you think you're good at Rocket League. And then you watch them, and the ball never touches the ground, and the cars never touch the ground, and all of a sudden you realize you're kind of the worst Rocket League player. <laughs> but it is, it's really exciting to watch, and it's a good intro, I, I think, for people new to the scene because it's something mm. that we're used to. There's yeah. two goals. Yeah, There's a ball. It's soccer, you know, hockey, it's soccer whichever with you play. Cars. Right? Um, and I, I, that's also why um, more in our specific space, I, in the Call of Duty tournaments, I really enjoy when they do uplink maps mm. and that's the same thing they have to you know they have this sphere that they have to get into certain hoops we'll say throughout the map so um yeah that's cool albert what about you what do you what do you like watching play people um, play hmm watching a variety of games actually i kind of watch games for the streamers since especially variety streamers they've got it's like watching a live recording of any kind of talk show hmm it's like watching Conan O'Brien or basically any other TV show. They've got some crazy personalities. Some might be a bit crazier than others. Sometimes questionable. Sometimes there's people doing stupid things. Sometimes it's not even video games anymore. I mean, when you look at Twitch, you now have the in real life section, which is just people walking around eating food. <laughs> and they're just streaming that to a million people. And you're kind of like, oh, well, that's one way to live your life. But they're making a living. and yeah. I just like watching any interesting file. Hmm. So, um, uh, what? I'm curious. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, the amazingness of esports. What, what's the part? What part of the hype don't you believe? Where's, where's where, where would you like to call BS? Um, I alluded to it in the hot seat, but it's something that really uh, hits home for me, especially since I work for the for and with the community is again this idea that you have to have you do have to have a lot of money don't get me wrong um, a lot of money goes into the industry however you don't need to be the optic or the phase of esports in order to make it in esports like i said before they have free play entry we just saw at dreamhack this weekend with the halo championship series that was happening one of our teams um, oxygen supremacy uh, they they came through they came all the way up through that sort of open call invite and now they've qualified for the pro league wow. so um we're doing a sponsorship giveaway right now and that's the sentiment really is i don't have enough subs i don't have enough this i don't have enough that and that's the stigma that I really hope that 
more conversations like this start to break is mm -hmm. that it does take training, but gaming, since gaming has ever existed, has been for everyone. Mm -hmm. And esports is no different. Mm -hmm. So kind of a, a move away from the professionalization and you know, and more of embracing the, the, it's still a grassroots, anybody can, can join. It's still pick up basketball. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. well, what about you, Albert? Where do you, where do you think, uh, where's, mm. what hype aren't you believing in this uh, hyped up world of esports? Well, um, this kind of ties in with what Connie said. There's this current trend I've noticed, especially of some recent uh, emails and contacting I've been through. A lot of individuals or rather organizations think that if they have enough money they can just toss it at the problem and start their own regional tournament or just toss money at a school or if the school themselves might start up a program just say it'll run itself we got scholarships good players will come and then they don't put any time and effort into it and i'm afraid that there's too many people trying to join this kind of hype train on great the train's moving, we got to get on it, throw all of your money at eSports. Mm. But then they don't put any effort into it. They don't put any of their heart into it and any of their motivation to it. They hope that with enough money, it'll just run itself and that's just going to be a train wreck and a bubble of pop. Hmm. Interesting. Um, you guys have uh, a chance to hear from one another. I'm curious uh, if you had thoughts or ideas that you would like to uh, to share or, or questions you'd like, penetrating questions you'd like to ask? I, I definitely do. Um, first of all, you didn't ask me, but my answer to that question is I believe all the hype. Oh, you do? You <laughs> yes. believe? I, I should Absolutely. let you answer. That's right. I As started here with policy. Connie. <laughs> yes. I, 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 went, I was thinking I started here, but Adam, what's your, what are your thoughts? Uh, um, <laughs> I believe all the hype. Uh, no, but actually I do have a couple of questions for these yeah, guys, um, and maybe I'll start with Connie. So there's, um, there is absolutely nothing in this bubble that you would not burst. On, on these well, like what? I mean, pick, I don't know. Pick, I'm asking. Pick something, and and I'll tell you if I believe it or not. No, I mean, I mean is look, it really going to quadruple no, in look, the next uh, year? Is it really going <clears> to <throat> continue to double, quadruple, quintuple? Are we are just hitting inflection? I think point? it really. I I think it really will be at the level of the NFL and MLB um, and NBA. Absolutely. Yeah, because it seems like there's, there's definitely on the engagement side. Is there is there sustainability on the monetization side? Where's Will, will this continue to be up at that level? Yes. Where's the money to be made? Uh, the money is to be made in the audience, I think, uh, just, just as it is with traditional sports. Mm. Like jersey sales. Uh, I've seen, it's amazing how many teams throw their jerseys up and, and get a lot of people buying them, right? So. Sure, jersey sales and um, advertising and sponsorship and, you know, the way that money. So, I mean, this is content, mm -hmm. right? This is content and audiences. But it's a, um, it is a new combination of media and technology and spectator sport um, that I think the, the rest of the economic, you know, the economic engines that drive um, the NFL and MLB and so and so forth are just starting to turn over in this space, mm -hmm. um, and so the, uh, there's an enormous amount of enthusiasm. Is there some frothiness in some aspects here and there? Sure, as there is with anything that people get excited about. But is the arc of what's happening with esports um, incredibly exciting? Um, yes. 
So um, there's there's three sports that come to mind that have emerged almost out of nowhere. It seems like um, esports. The last episode was about drone racing. We had drone racer, right? So drone racing league, uh, and then major league eating. I mean, who could have predicted <laughs> 20 years ago that three of the biggest growing sports segments would have been video gamers, people eating lots and lots of food, <laughs> and then flying remote control uh, equipment around. It just blows my mind. That's the world we live in. Uh, so if you're Major League Baseball and want to know where your audience went, that's where that went. Um, all right, you said you had some questions for your, yeah, your yeah, fellow just, So, I mean, I, I, would, I would start with Connie. Uh, you guys have done such an amazing job with your community engagement um, and with the way that you uh, relate at a really genuine level with, um, with the people in the esports community and your users. Um, what are the, you know, I mean, aside from something that, you know, of course, I completely agree with, which is genuine level engagement is super important. Um, to what else do you attribute your success in doing that? Thank you, <laughs> first of <laughs> and foremost. Um, well, authenticity, like I said, I can't stress it enough. It's in our mission. It's in, it's posted on the wall in our conference room. It's posted on the wall, and when you first walk into the office, it is the end-all, be-all of what makes or breaks a gaming company, brand, publisher, etc. Um, beyond being transparent, uh, I think a lot of the success comes down to individualism. Um, we are creeping up on a million followers on Twitter, um, but our approach has always been to treat it as though we only have one follower on Twitter and engage with that person um, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. The same can be said for when they come up to us at the booth, um, especially when I was just at Guardian Con in Tampa, just previous to us going to DreamHack, I had four people who came up and said, oh, Connie, I remember you from PAX East. Or, hey, Connie, remember when we talked at PAX South? And I'm just like, these, these guys are starting to travel alongside us. They're following the games, and they're following us, and they're having those connections. And it might seem insignificant when you look at the numbers or when you look at this, you know, the back end, but to them, they're our brand ambassadors at the end of the day. And they see that they have a direct connection, direct response into this company that could potentially one day be a partner or one day, you know, they could be coming, you know, we could be going to them asking for a partnership deal one day. So it's important to get to know these people now in the gaming space and also kind of on a personal level. I have a little bit more fun with my Snapchat audience. Um, we've done homework before. Um, one of the kids we asked, um, sort of put out a gaming thing that was coming up, asked who's gonna be there. He said, I can't, I have a track meet. And I made a point the next day, I snapped him back just to chat. They don't know that. I don't know who's behind the glass, but um, I asked what place he got in, how it went, and they were just those little efforts, those little moments. That is what, that's what keeps this industry going. Great question, Adam. Screw it. Should start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? What do you, what's, your, what's in your head, uh, you, Albert? Time to get something. Hmm. Right. Well, I have rather simple questions to ask, and this one's for Adam. What's your next game to be cooking ah. on haste? Ah, that's a great question. Um, we, uh, <laughs> we, we don't know. 
um, we are um, we're we're probably um, a couple of months away from starting to add additional games because we're focusing on some core uh, platform performance. Um, but the way we look at that is through a combination of, um, of factors. Obviously, you're looking at the size of the user base, right? So um, that would suggest looking at CSGO and Dota 2 and, and some other games beyond that. Um, but we also look at um, lag sensitivity, right? So some games are, are maybe more sensitive to lag than others. So that gets factored in. We look at where um, the active user bases are, right? Because we are rolling out our infrastructure into different regions. And so some games may be disproportionately popular in regions that we don't support yet. Um, but, you know, I would expect to see, and, and everyone listening can expect to see us starting to support um, other major games um, in the very near future. All right, cool. Excellent. Um, All right. So you get something, Connie? I do. I uh, have a question for Albert specifically right. on the um, since you do the Georgia Tech thing, and I've alluded to football mm -hmm. a lot because I think it's easy enough for people to relate on the crossover, but also because Georgia Tech football is very close <laughs> to my heart. <laughs> uh, my husband went here, my brother went here, and as I got more and more exposure um, this past weekend at DreamHack to the college scene and what was going there, who's sort of the big the big rival? Is it still, I, don't, I mean, is it like a, U, who's the UGA out there for you guys? Hmm. So, actually, on that note, contrary to popular belief, UGA Esports and Georgia Tech Esports are best buds. See? Yeah. <laughs> what a plot These twist. are the things we need to know. The people have <laughs> questions. These are rivalries that go yeah. way back. But Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, all of the Georgia and even just the southeastern region, uh, a lot of the colleges, especially on social media, we hit each other up and just do nice, mostly just memes, but we just... Pass notes like "see you at the next game" or uh, "thanks for broadcasting game," and we just say notes of encouragement all the time. So, uh, uh, League of Legends, uh, <laughs> you've got Overwatch. Let's go with Overwatch. No, let's go with Counter Strike. If you're playing right. Counter Strike, Georgia Tech's fielding team, <laughs> Counter Strike. Who would you just like boiling rage of anger? Not one on the <laughs> other end of that thing. Who's who? You like that? I oh, I hate them. <laughs> Uh, West Coast colleges. Because, <laughs> so, so on. Oh, this is an East Coast West Coast thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because like. Tupac and Biggie come in. They've got. Come in. Yeah, West Coast and East Coast colleges have like different views on esports, especially since a lot of California colleges typically have broadened out and accepted esports programs into their schedules, especially mm. in legitimizing it through grants and scholarships and partnering them of athletics programs, whereas on the East Coast, we've been much slower on the uptake. Hmm. So we've got this odd rivalry with a lot of California colleges. So would you say uh, Cal Berkeley, Irvine? Uh, yeah, definitely. There, yeah. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's been trying pretty well from the PR department. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. no, no, just don't give him bulletin board. <laughs> <laughs> I have, a, I have a question. For Go ahead. Go All for right. Um, so in, in traditional sports, um, mm -hmm. you know, football, since you mentioned it, um, people playing at the, at the college level, um, you know, yep. college football is sort of a feeder for professional football. 
Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, obviously not at every school, but you know what I mean. Um, what What is the relationship between um, collegiate esports and professional esports? Is there a similar relationship, or where where does it fit in to the professional world? Yeah. So to take that metaphor for a ride. Um, Traditional sports, football players in the college level often get scouted into a professional scene. However, for eSports, there's this disconnect for a lot of games. Certain games might be more atypical, such as Counter-Strike, where good college players might be scouted out. But that's only for the big games, because compared with traditional sports that have been here for a while and been established, and with the really short longevity comparison, for eSport games because companies operate these games and when they don't make enough money to get shut down. Oftentimes for fledgling games or brand new games, college players join teams but only do so for the college period. They can't find a pro team to join because they don't know how to or the pro teams scout out from non-college student areas. Hmm. However, certain companies are trying to reach out now so Georgia Tech Esports is also a branch of TESPA, which is a Blizzard Entertainment operated uh, group that helps collegiate organizations for esports become larger and more in-depth. And so I guess this ties in with Overwatch, as mentioned. Overwatch collegiately is growing a lot faster than other games because it has a lot more support. Despite Overwatch being a new game, it has a lot more potential there for college players to move up. Except I don't want to talk too much about Overwatch because mm -hmm. then I'd have to talk about the intricacies of Overwatch trying to overexpand right now. Mm. Well, it is interesting to think about that is that this is not, there's not a stability to the game like football or, or, or soccer. And also you get exactly. youth leagues to, you know, people are doing summer camps and coaches camps and these kids are coming up through the ranks. Here it's, it's such an ephemeral uh, battlefield that uh, you know, they might be top of the sport and that game gets shut down two years later, then does that translate over to other games? And do, you see, do you see in your peers, Albert, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the ability to cross-pollinate between various games? Someone who's amazing in Counter-Strike, also amazing in Rocket League, as an example? Actually, yes. Uh, I've noticed that people tend to learn mechanics from other games and share it with other games. You might take two games that are not so connected on the outside, such as League of Legends to Counter-Strike. I've noticed that really good League of Legends players and really good Counter-Strike players are at least above average in another game if they play it for long enough to learn it, because mm -hmm. they both learn the quick reflexes and how to react, and they also know how to communicate with their team. So there's a lot of general skills and talents that could be applied for both ways. Hmm. Cool. You also have the... Um nice luxury and a really cool thing about the evergreen games in esports your smash mm. your street fighter tekken things like that yeah. so even if you're a little bit behind on all of the new publisher advancements or the things that are coming up and getting hot and gaining traction you can still play and compete in these games that you've been playing for you know as long as you probably or most of these new and upcoming esports players have been gaming mm, that's a good point i mean it's yeah you certainly see the 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 the, the evergreen games that are out there that 
everyone you know, like they might have just finished a, a, a match in overwatch but they go play tekken 7 right Come yeah on. we had a dream hack one of our uh, halo teams um, unfortunately didn't qualify they got uh, kicked out a little bit earlier than they planned so the players just walked down the, to the other end and joined the Tekken tournament and <laughs> and it was great and they did well and they just had fun and that's really what it comes down to and the at the end of the day this is something the gamers are gonna game anyway so you may as well cater to to all of that well, I got uh, one rapid-fire question for the the uh, roundtable as I get uh, the audience here with their questions. Um, so, if you have a question, uh, come on over here to my left, and uh, we've got probably time for two or three. Um, uh, what was your very first video game that you just it just it hit? It's like wow, that was such when early the first game you played where you, you just got super excited and became super obsessed with Space Go. Invaders. Space Invaders. Yes. Don't, don't, don't. Uh, I'd say don't. Ratchet and Clank, I guess, yeah. on PlayStation. It was a great platformer and adventure game. It's a toss-up because I have a sibling, but uh, Super Mario Brothers, of course, as the older one, I get to be Mario all the time, which is nice. <laughs> but we also had a lot, of, um, a lot of bonding moments and a lot of grounding time over rampage as well oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, rampage. yeah lots of fights he ate my pizza so I, 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 grew up, I, I grew up in the golden age of uh, arcade video games and getting lost with 20 dollars for four hours which yeah, was yeah. nice yeah um but then we we had a sega console and uh, tennis was fun but i i would spend many hours in my 14 15 year old life playing rambo you know the, going up the screen and conquering it so Anyway, all right, so we've got our first uh, audience uh, question. Introduce uh, who you are and uh, what is your question. All right, I'm Cody Trevick. I'm a now former Georgia Tech student and was the vice president of the Gamers Guild for about two years. I'm, of course, stepping down from that. And we're at the Board Game Club. I have about 170 board games in my apartment. And the question I have for that is, you know, I'm in a fairly fanatical following of Oh, that's a lot of words, syllables. I do a lot of work with the board games, and there is a bit of overlap with the esports. But while some people may disagree with me, especially Ian, Settlers of Catan isn't sexy. Why, <laughs> why is it that this one side of nerd culture is still kind of left in your parents' basement, whereas video games are soaring into the multi-millions? And by former, he means he's graduating. So he's getting out. <laughs> He's getting that. Congratulations. Yeah, this is great. This is great. Why? What's the difference? Hey, Tark. Sure. No, you, uh, oh, no, yeah. come on over. Oh, right. I'm going to phone a friend. Phone a friend. Hey, Tark, come on over. Go phone Come on over here. Tark, come this way. You can use my mic. You can use my mic. All right, so. Sure. All right, so, so phone uh, a friend. Nice. So. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a couple of things. The first thing is I think board games are not dead. I mean, you know, there's still a ton of people playing them with their friends, you know, it's happening. But I think in terms of the hype, uh, the main difference is it's not televised. You know, and when I say televised, I talk about Twitch these days. Uh, you know, you're not watching as many people play board games in the same way uh, as you, you know, it doesn't have the agility. And so I think that's, that's part of a, maybe a difference in the perception of, in terms of the competitiveness, but there's also some crossover. You look to me like you look at a game 
such as Hearthstone, that's enormously popular on Twitch. It's like the third biggest views, you know, just under League of Legends and Dota 2, Counter-Strike, you know, around, around that top three, four area. Uh, and that's a turn-based game uh, inspired by uh, card games like Magic the Gathering. And so, I, you, you know, I, I think, it, you know, those kind of situations have a lot of potential. Yeah, I think, I think you hit it. Uh, the, thank you very much phoning a friend coming in. Um, well, the idea of, uh, it's just, it's so much more media rich. Uh, anyway, it's inherently, it's, it's, already, it's already digitized. Uh, I guess that's a theory I could buy into. I, I mean, there's just not a lot of action to observe. You also right? have one of these massive publishers that are putting millions of dollars behind these. Yeah, the, the, your good point. Yeah. Uh, the massive amounts of money being put behind getting people to play the video games. And, and, and they, you know, it's, it is it's inherently social because it's, it's online games. You're, you're able to join uh, people. All right, we got our second question for the audience. And this, she has come to work with her mom today specifically <laughs> to attend this. And she's even awesome because she's got a question for you. So who are you and what's your question? Uh, my name is Adia Couture. I wanted to ask, what can we do about thing, people like pingers who abuse things like ping to make themselves slower in games? And how can we like fix that? Awesome. Wow, that is a really good question. Yeah. That, <laughs> um, why don't, why don't you take it? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the hit. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> yeah, so. I was going to try, but when he started talking, I realized like, oh, man. Sorry, I should just man. shut up. Albert's, Albert's got, he's got a take on this one. He's got a take. Go yeah, so I guess it really depends on a game-per-game -game basis because often pingers or even people have lag switches or they abuse the fact that they're the host of a game and everyone else is subject to their whims, basically, since they control the network. Um, some games are affected more by that, such as Call of Duty, or actually an excellent example would be the recent release of For Honor from Ubisoft. Now, For Honor is a peer-to-peer -peer game. This affects primarily peer-to-peer, -peer, where some, one player is the host and all the connections uh, inbound and outbound through them. Now, if that player is the host and they were, they wanted to be a terrible person, they could deliberately increase their ping through the use of lag switches or maybe they just have a faulty router. And to them, everyone else, he can just kill them, remove them from the game, basically abuse power while all the other players are watching them teleport, turn invisible, become invincible. He's basically a god in that sense. Now, game companies and game developers have tried different ways of removing this problem. The easiest but the most costly solution would be server browsing. And hosting servers would remove that problem completely since if you, if you lag switch yourself, you're basically just disconnecting yourself from the game and everyone else will just kill you instead. So obviously they're not, it's not as incentivized com in comparison. However, companies will then have to pay for the servers themselves or suffer through terrible login periods if there's too many players and not enough servers to log into. Another situation is having a healthy reporting system. So like how in traditional sports, professional players who cheat through illegal substances can get banned or uh, at least publicly shamed for what they've done. 
The same goes for people who are reported frequently. However, oftentimes there's just so many people playing game and so many reports coming in that the final choice is do we have an auto ban system they receive X amount of reports for being a cheater? Or do we have a manual system of support technicians who receive tickets and have to manually go and checklist it off? So it's, it's a really diverse problem that it's simple on the outside, but really takes into consideration a variety of factors. That's a very well thought through answer. Oh, to a, better answer than I had. You've obviously given a lot of thought to it. Didn't PUBG recently introduce a, 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 you know, maybe it's not a real scalpel, mm -hmm. but when they detect network lag, they sort of freeze your game, right? Is that sort of a server-side effort to address that? Yeah, PUBG, which by the way, if you don't play it, is still in testing, but it's still a very completed game right now, even by standards. It is experimenting with features to save a copy of your position on their server, so even if you start lagging, and there, most people probably don't lag Switch and PUBG since it's a much larger scale than other games, like where you might have eight to 16 people, PUBG is 100 people usually. So if you lag Switch, that usually doesn't work out in your favor. What do you think is a bigger, bigger problem, um, th this or uh, Rage Quit? Rage Quit, because that deals with people deciding on their personalities. It, it's actually, that ties into one of your questions earlier on seeing how people actually react. Because I feel like playing video games, as well as traditional sports, really brings out your inner self or mm -hmm. who you are on the inside nature. because it brings out your emotions because there's there's that sense of winning versus losing and when you lose due to something outside of your control are you a patient person do you understand why or do you lash out at your teammates or quit the game and just start screaming your hair in frustration or you go south park and just break your computer <laughs> so yeah I feel like Rage Quit is definitely a more prevalent problem because it's just so much easier. You just turn off the game and just stop talking to your friends for a few hours, I guess. All right, we got time for one more question. Who are you? What's your question? Hi, my name is Alex Suarez. Um, this is more from the business end. Given the fragmented and ephemeral nature of how long games last, what can be done to really grow or what strategies are there to grow a sustainable esports fan base and community that will grow and follow teams or you know competitors across games or given that publishers have every incentive to keep people locked into their game silos so i think the big thing is orgs organizations mm -hmm. um unlike traditional sports where you have the Atlanta Falcons, the New England Patriots, the New York Jets. In esports, you have umbrella organizations that you follow, such as Team Caliber, or Optic, or Phase, the big ones we've been talking about before. And those organizations have multiple teams per game. And as new games emerge, they adopt and recruit new players and make a new team under that umbrella. So it would be like if we just took all of Georgia's football teams 
in one, Georgia Tech, UGA, Atlanta Falcons, right, uh, Georgia State, and just said, this is the Atlanta football organization. And then you really like college sports, so you're going to follow Georgia Tech, for example. And Adam really likes professional sports, so he's going to root for the Falcons. And then all of a sudden, Atlanta United comes in the mix, Atlanta Football League, and Albert's like, yes, now I have a team to root for as well. And that's kind of the unique structure that's pretty cool because it started grassroots. The gamers did that. No corporation came down and said, this is how your structure should be. We did that on our own. And it's proven to be really successful. And as PUBG and, you know, has just sort of, it feels like come out of nowhere, we already see these organizations adopting and announcing new teams that they have to support that game. Somebody, um, somebody made the observation that uh, that you can think of the organizations you were just talking about um, as uh, an Olympic team, like mm. the United States Olympic team, where there are many, many different teams and many different oh, yeah. sports, and they come and go um, from from uh, you know from from year to year. Um, and and somebody else made a related point when they were talking about the emergence of esports as a more legitimate sport, and they were talking about the um, efforts to make uh, some uh, esports competitions part of the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, in, it's in the queue at the, uh, the Asian uh, that's metal right. games. That's right, and, and, and in response to somebody thinking that was ridiculous, they pointed out that among the most popular uh, Olympic events these days are events that came out of the extreme sports mm -hmm. movement um, that is that in, in a lot of ways looks very similar to that sort of uh, you know, bottom-up emergence of new forms of competition. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, uh, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Hump Day Exchange. It's an exciting conversation. I do want to point out that uh, both Haste and Control Freak are ATDC companies that are always excited to have uh, our partners' uh, companies featured here. So um, thank you to our guests, Adam Toll and Connie Cambray. And did I get it right yet? Cambry. Cambry, sorry. <laughs> God. Phonetic spelling for next time. All right, so Connie, thank you for enduring my butchering of your last name. Okay. Um, it is a very beautiful last name, and I just cannot pronounce it's it right. It's still new. I mess it up sometimes, too. Don't <laughs> worry. Yeah. Albert Lee, uh, and our other guest, and our strategic partners, University Financing Foundation, Gateway Development Services, Square on Fifth, ATDC, Scheller College of Business, Keysight Technologies, MARTA, Honeywell, The Combine, and the Atlanta Bridge Community. So be sure to check out techsquareatl.com for regular stories about TechSquare, and that's where we put all of our Hump Day Exchange podcasts up. Learn more about the Sandbox ATL membership network at sandboxatl.com. And if you're here in Atlanta and want to uh, use an amazing venue, book your breakthrough event at bookthegarage.com. Uh, that's where we record this episode here in the garage. And a uh, final thank you to you, our, our listeners. If, you're, if you like what you're hearing, uh, we'd love it if you'd share this podcast with your friends. And, and be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, and leave a review. Those always help. So until you see the camel silhouette beamed into the sky again, this has been the Hump Day Exchange.